So I want to talk about being married to the Lord. And this is something I'm probably going to be preaching on a little bit more because as if you've been here at the awakening any amount of time, you probably heard us talk about Isaiah 62:10, which is clear the way for the people, build up a highway, remove the stones and lift up a standard over the people. Or you go up further up in the beginning of that chapter and it talks about being married to the Lord and being called his delight. And so There we go. So Isaiah 62, verses 4 through 5 says, It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, which if your translation may say, Hephzibah. And your land married, Again, your translation may say Beulah for married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the groom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. <clears throat> so the scripture is using marriage language. It's using marriage language. And... I feel like, and it goes on to say, you've I've put watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. And, that, and it's important to understand that this is, this is talking about Israel, but it's also talking about the church as well, because where the church, the Gent, Gentile believers, are the wild olive shoots that have been grafted into the tree. We partake of the promises of God. The, the promises that God gave Israel, we get to partake in. Because we've been grafted in by the blood of Jesus. All right. So all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so you can look at this. This doesn't, the church doesn't replace Israel. And this also can apply to the church when it talks about Israel. If, when you read the scriptures. All right. And so it's using marriage language here. And then you go to Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 through 10. It says, let's rejoice and, and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay? So here, it's talking about the return of Jesus being another name for it is the marriage supper of the lamb. It's another name for the return of Jesus because even in Revelation 19, it starts describing what Jesus looks like when he returns. I looked and there was a white horse and he who sat upon it 
had the eyes of flames of fire. And it goes through describing who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. And so what is, you know, one of the last things written in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. It doesn't say the spirit and the friends of God say, come even though that's part of who we are. It doesn't say the Spirit and the sons of God say come, even though that's who we are. It says the Spirit and the bride say come. And so I believe that we're coming into a season where God wants us to understand who we are as the bride of Christ and being married to him. It's like, what does it mean to be married to Jesus. That's what I've been asking the Lord. I was like, what does that mean, Lord? For me to be married to you personally, but also, you know, the church as a whole, we're, we're being prepared for you. And think about this. Which, what level of intimate, intimacy is the greatest? Is it friends? Is it sons? Or is it Husband and wife. It's husband and wife. Because you're actually becoming one. Right? And we need, you need to understand that you're a friend of God. You need to understand you're a slave of Christ. You need to understand you're a son of God, daughter of God. But what God, I think, is really wanting to reveal in this season is who you are being married as the bride of Christ. So what does it mean to be married to you, Lord? So I asked the Lord this question, and, and one morning I felt like this is what he, he spoke to me. He said, I will protect you with my life. I will provide for you. I will serve you. My inheritance is your inheritance. My family is your family. I will cause you to be fruitful and multiply. I will give you your heart's desire. So this is, and so I'm, I'm always, when the Lord speaks to me, I'm like, all right, now it's time for some scripture to back it up. And so when you go to the characteristics of a husband, I felt like what, what the Lord was laying out to me is, these are, this is what comes with being my bride. These are the benefits of being my bride. And it, it comes out of what it means to be a husband. Like, this is what good husbands do, right? This is what husbands that love their wives well, this is what they do. They're protectors. So Psalm 121, verse 7 says, The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. I mean, that's just one of hundreds of protection verses. And so the Lord, he says in Zechariah about, Israel, he says, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. And there is a, there's a button that husbands have that can get pushed where you can go from listening to Jimmy Buffett and, you're, and then you go to Metallica mode. And so you're, and what happened, so Jessica and I, when Jessica was pregnant with Josiah, we're, down, we're still living in Texas. 
and we're in San Antonio along the Riverwalk. Have, has anybody been to San Antonio before? Or one other Texas resident here? And so, beautiful, but the river is, I mean, literally, there's not much of a, a barrier between like you and the river. There's not a fence or anything, and you just walk alongside the river. And they have restaurants and shops all along the Riverwalk. Jessica's pregnant with Josiah, and I'm like, let me get a picture of you in front of the river. And I'm getting ready to take a picture with a disposable back then. And so uh, Jessica's in front of the river, and these two guys who are drunk stumble into her, and she's going into the river. And I grabbed her by her arm and pulled her out, and then I just, I just left her, and I started. I was like, and I immediately started thinking about which one to take out first. I had no, I didn't care about, I was like, these guys probably would have beaten me up, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to destroy both of these guys. And so, I'm, Jessica sees one, I just start walking towards them, and she's like, Travis, Travis, and she grabs, she grabs my arm, and I'm just kind of like, and she, and then, so I, I ditched the vengeance route, and then I go, and so I'm like, we're going home. And I'm just, I'm like rough arming her. And I'm literally doing this to people. It's like, get out of my way. And, they're, you know, they're just like this. And Jessica, and she's like, you need to forgive those guys. You need to forgive them. And I said, I'll forgive them when we get back to the hotel. But they hit that husband button. It's like somebody, what's what do you do when somebody just went up to you and just what, poked you in the eye? You're like, what are you doing? And so, so Jesus said, he said, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. It's like you're poking God in the eye when, he, when you come after his kids. And so Jesus, he offers that kind of protection. And sometimes we think that he doesn't want to protect us from the enemy and that he's just, yeah, go ahead and let's, take everything they got or whatever and it's it's not that we we blame every we blame so much on God that's not really <laughs> on him sometimes it's because we made some bad choices and so anyways it's God's his hardest to protect and then also he wants to provide for us Genesis uh, 22:14 and it says Abraham named that place this is where he offered Isaac, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Who dwells on the mountain of the Lord? The Lord himself, his presence. So in his presence, we have all that we need. He will provide for us when we seek him, when we seek his face, we seek his presence. And... And so he's a provider, and, and, you know, these are things that we, we have to be in relationship with God to get to experience these things. We have to be pursuing him and seeking him to be able to discover these things about him. Because you don't get up to the, the top of the mountain without climbing a little bit. And that's just a, a symbol of our, our side of things where we have to be intentional and pursue the Lord as well. 
Another characteristic of husbands is that they're servants. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came and started painting the picture of him as the bridegroom, and then he says, I came, to, I came not to be served, but to serve. So Jesus would have all-day ministry of healing the sick. He would go up on a mountain and pray. He would teach all day without food. So who was serving who, right? Jesus was serving all day long. We are, God serves us all day long, right? When you think about it, he's, he's constantly giving to us. It's his heart, and he's a giver. He's a server. And it doesn't, when you serve, it doesn't take away authority. It actually increases authority. Because in Philippians chapter 2, it says, why did Jesus get all authority? It's because he humbled himself and became like a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so servant, servanthood is actually a sign of your authority. <laughs> and Jesus demonstrated that. And it didn't mean that... Um, you don't have to obey his words. It just means that he's leading the way as the example, as the forerunner of our faith. And then husbands are also lovers. Ephesians 5, verse 28. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So if I'm being short with Jessica, or I'm not thinking the best about her, I'm not doing myself any favors. If I'm not serving her, if I'm not trying to, to be at peace and work together as a team and work through issues and do the work that marriage requires and not seek my own, then I'm not doing, I'm not doing myself any favors. Because Jessica and I are one. And so if I treat her badly, I'm treating myself, literally treating myself badly. <laughs> it's like flogging one side of your body. Because G the word says you have become one. And, that's the, and that's, so that's the truth of it. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are the parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So I, I believe that the church isn't really going to come into that unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17 until we understand our, that we're the bride of Christ. Because it says right here, to become one flesh, husband, wife, this is a mystery, but I'm speaking 
of Christ and the church. And so this is where we're heading. And, and I know maybe some of you guys, it might be a little uncomfortable to think of yourself as the bride of Christ. Ladies, it might be uncomfortable for you to think of yourself as a son of God. But to me, I'm just like, as, as Graham Cook would tell, say, get over your bad self. And, and just ask the Lord to help you. It's, it's, I remember Mike Bickle, Mike Bickle's dad was a professional boxer. And Mike Bickle grew up boxing. And he grew up in boxing gyms. And the Lord said, I want you to study and teach on Song of Songs. And he had never read it. And he started reading it. He just said, God, this is horrible. This is horrible. He, he, he says, I, I came, he says, I really hated my assignment. But he just read it out of obedience. He's just like, what? This, oh my gosh, this is, man. And then the Lord gave him revelation about Song of Songs. And if you've never read any of Mike Bickle's stuff on Song of Songs, then go read it because it's amazing. And, but my, my point is, is that Mike understood that what, what the Word of God said. And he's like, well, I'm not going to change the Word of God. I'm going to let the Word of God change me. And so ask the Lord, to, if, you, if, you're, if you are struggling with that, just the Lord can change your heart and it's easy for him. So I want to talk about the benefits of being married to Christ. Number one, his family becomes our family. You have family in Nicaragua. You've got family in China. You've got family all over the world. Because Jesus said... How did Jesus define family? In Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we've been united by the blood of Jesus. We've got family all over the place. Of that thought. And what comes with God's family becoming our family is that we... We get to share in the family inheritance. What does Colossians chapter 1 say? It says, I, I, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you may live a life worthy of him, pleasing him in all respects, growing in the knowledge of God, bearing fruit in every good work, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attainment of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to Christ, who allows you to share in the inheritance of the saints in God. All of that is for all of that understanding and what's before that is, is to share in the inheritance of the saints in God. Secondly, we'll, we'll be fruitful and multiply. So God, what he does as he impregnates us with his word. That word works, works within us. It starts birthing something in us. It might be 
patience. It might be joy. Whatever fruit of the Spirit you want to pick. But that Word starts growing in us and then it bears fruit. And so his, He impregnates us with His Word. It does not return void and it bears fruit in our life. And so this is, in Hebrews it actually talks about the Word of God and the Greek word is, called, is the word sperma. I don't have to tell you what that is. And so it's a reproductive, God's word by its nature reproduces and multiplies. That's what it does. It's the seed. Thirdly, we will receive our heart's desire. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm telling you that um, if I, if Jessica, if, I, if I'm in a place where I'm just believing that Jessica delights in me, she respects me, and she admires me, she listens to me earnestly. She asks about anything she wants. You'd be like, oh, yeah, let's, let's get it. Uh-huh. What you want? We get and she'll be like, do we, do we have money for this? Yeah, absolutely. We can get it. Go ahead, do it. I, honey, I want to I bless you. I'm just trying to like... When I'm in that place, that's like my attitude towards her. And it's not because, it's not because Jessica's necessarily doing anything. I just feel one with her in those times, you know, times. And obviously in marriages, you, you have things you got to work out. But when you're in those, those times of oneness and unity and you're just jiving real good together, you're like, yeah, what do you, what do you want? Sure, let's get it. And so... When we're in that place of unity, what did Jesus say? Ask anything in my name, and I'll give it to you. <laughs> so when you're jiving and you're one with the Lord and you're, just, you're, you're connected and you're delighting in the Lord just because you realize how awesome of a husband he is, he's like, what do you want? Let's go. I'll give it to you. It is. Uh, husbands have an automatic yes when you're in that spot. And then fourthly, we take his name. Do you, do you have any comments on that? I don't know if you want to give your perspective. Then fourthly, we take his name. What, is, what does a wife do when she gets married, traditionally? Takes the name of her husband. Names are hyphenated now, and that's, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But the understanding traditionally in marriage is the wife has now come under the leadership of the, of the husband. She takes, so far as she takes the husband's name. 
So the old name has gone away. And now she has a new name. I've heard that in the Bible somewhere. We get a new name. But we're hidden. But ultimately what this means is for guys and girls is that we lose our identities through the death of our old man. Old Travis has passed away. There's a new Travis that was created. Numbers chapter 6, verse 27. This is after the, the blessing of Aaron, which is the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord calls the light of his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. And then sometimes we forget about the verse right after that, which is, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. That word invoke means they will take my name upon themselves. So even in the Old Testament, way back in Numbers, they're saying God's foreshadowing, get under my name, get under my leadership, take my name, lose your identity, found, be hidden in me. And so in the, in the New Testament, we're, we're hidden in Christ. We're new creations. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Colossians 3.1, Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And it goes on in verse 3, it says, For your life has now been hidden in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. We're being conformed to His image. And so when St. Patrick, his, one, part of his, the, the breastplate of St. Patrick, which is the prayer that he prayed that's relatively famous, he's like, Christ on the left of me, Christ on the right, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ behind me, Christ in front of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone that speaks of me, Christ in the, in the eyes of everybody that sees me, Christ in the ears of everyone that hears me. He's just saying he doesn't care about Patrick. He only wants Christ to be glorified. And that's the same attitude that, and that's what we find the joy and the peace of the Lord. When we hang on to the old self, it's like it brings all the old things with it. Discontent, grumbling, complaining, bad attitudes, short fuses. But in the new man, under Christ, those things pass away. And so when I was spending time with the Lord asking him about this, I also heard this phrase. I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ. And this is just the truth of the matter. The church is Mrs. Jesus Christ. <laughs> when people think about the church, when they think about us, they should think about Jesus. Oh, she's married to Jesus. Jesus is awesome. <laughs> you have in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea says, Jesus, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And this is actually the, the ancient Jewish wedding invitation. So in the days of Jesus, a bridegroom and his father 
listen, listen to that, a bridegroom and his father would go, come to the door of the bride-to-be carrying the betrothal cup of wine and the bride price. So a cup of wine and a payment, whatever it may be, like silver, sheep, or whatever. Standing outside, they would knock. If she fully opened the door, she was saying, yes, I will be your bride. If the door stayed closed, she was saying no. So here's Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock, church of Laodicea. Will you be my bride? The church of lukewarmness was the church of Laodicea. And he's saying, will you be my bride? And when we say yes to being the bride of Christ, I think our hearts are going to be so on fire for God more than any other revelation of our, who we are in Jesus Christ. Because in the Song of Song, verse 8, it says, set me as a seal upon your arm, as a seal upon your, your, your chest, for your love is stronger than death and your jealousy is as fierce as the grave. It's talking about the jealous love of our, of our lover, of Jesus Christ. And so, um, Julia and Phil, if y'all come back up here, Yes. So about the um, the desires of our heart, as Travis was sharing, um, I think what happens in those times where we we do feel in sync, and um, it's like I'm not sucking the life out of Travis, like just trying to get my needs met from him. And I, I know in that scripture about God giving us the desires of our heart. He is ready to give us what's in our heart, but he also wants to, like, put in us a desire. And when we accept God for who he is, you know, as our protector and our provider and how he serves us and how he loves us, and we know his heart, it changes the desire of my heart. So even as we go into ministry time, if we just ask the Lord, I know that's something that I feel like I've been doing for for a long time, and it, it's so easy for me to get back into my flesh and the desires of my heart. I just it's so easy to be pulled into the world and um, desires to look a lot like Jessica and not a lot like what the Lord has put in me. And so um, when I lose my identity, when I lose myself in him, then I find him in me. And that's the, where I want my desires to flow out of. And so just, um, just the prayer of our hearts, God, you just give us the desire of our heart. Like, help us, God, to be full of you and full of who you've called us to be.